Happy Thirsty Thursday, lovelies. What a crazy fucking week it's been for me. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've been getting settled in my new home for the foreseeable future, and I've been catching up with an old sugar daddy too. So uh, maybe like a month, two months ago or whatever, he calls me up. Actually, he texted me, but I don't know why I said he calls me up. But anyway, he texted me. He's like, hey, how have you been? What are you up to? And I haven't seen him in two, like over two years. It's been a long time because of COVID, because of life, just a lot of things. And so at this point, you know, I've kind of written him off as I'm never going to see again. But you guys, you guys, this is David we're talking about. So rewind all the way back to episode, I think, two. This is the sugar daddy who took me to New York City. He took me to Chicago. And I talk very highly of of him because he's fantastic. He's great. And yeah, so I kind of didn't think I was ever going to see him again. But we were chatting and we set it up and he was here for two two days already. And we so I spent two nights like fine dining, hanging out with him. It was really really fucking nice and it just was cool to feel that that crazy phenomenon that I've talked about on this show before of compartmentalization with these different relationships happening so strongly so when I'm just day-to-day living my normal my important primary life I'm not having these feelings of connection and chemistry with this person but as soon as I'm there and with him and engaged I am totally there and the connection is there the chemistry is there even after two and a half years it's like I see him and that part of me like comes back and it's turned on and it's really great and then when it's over it's over totally over and done and it was really cool to feel that again and to feel that happening after so long and I wanted to tell you guys about it not only because it's exciting that I reconnected but also because it's just it's really interesting how capable we are of compartmentalizing emotions and relationships and it is possible and it just takes a little bit of really understanding yourself how your emotions work how your mind works and all of those things but it is possible and it's really a really cool thing and it's really fun so for those two days I ended up getting a grand because I'm sure you're wondering because it is a sugar arrangement so I mean lots of expensive drinks and meals and good times and an allowance and so I would say that that's one of the big benefits of of sugar is you never know when something great is going to come back in your life I guess you could put it that way but that's all I have to say about that you guys this week's episode is history of exotic dancing I really wanted to bring it to you this week As I have mentioned, this week was full of ups and downs. When I pulled up this episode, because I recorded it probably a month ago, all of the data was lost. And so today, within the past like three hours, I have re-scripted it, re-recorded it, and re-edited it all all for you to get this episode this week. I mean, I could have posted something else, but I really wanted to do this one. I was really excited for it. Um, I'm really happy with how it turned out. I don't really remember the differences between version one and version two, but I pulled it up, and when it didn't work, I was, like, heartbroken. Um, 
so I made the decision. I was like, I'm going to redo it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because I'm disappointed. So here you go. History of exotic dancing. I hope that you guys enjoy it. I hope you get something from it. Many of you might know parts of this already. Like you might know the history of pole dancing if it's something you're really into. And also remember that this is also a very brief history. I think it's done in like 10 10 or 15 minutes. Easy. I mean, five minutes is just me bullshitting and reading a poem. (laughs) Find out what I mean by that and listen to the episode History of Exotic Dancing. I hope you guys enjoy To begin this episode, let me start by charming your ears with a delightfully seductive poem which is regarded as an argument for more sex. And it's one big striptease. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you His Mistress, Going to Bed by John Donne. Come, madam, come. All rest my powers defy, until I labor, I in labor lie. The foe oft times, having the foe in sight, is tired with standing, though he never fight. Off with that girdle, like heaven's zone glistering, but a far fairer world encompassing. Unpin that spangled breastlet, breastplate which you wear, that the eyes of busy fools may be stopped there. Unlace yourself, for that harmonious chime tells me from you that now it is bedtime. Off with that happy busk which I envy, that still can be and still can stand so nigh. Your gown going off such beauteous state reveals, as when from flowery meads the hill's shadow steals. Off with that wiry coronet shoe, the hairy diadem which on you doth grow. Now off with those shoes, and then safely tread in this love's hollowed temple, this soft bed. In such white robes heaven's angels used to be, received by men, thou angel bringst with thee a heaven like Muhammad's paradise. And though ill spirits walk in white, we easily know, by this these angels from an evil sprite. Those said our Harris, but these are flesh upright. <laughs> License my roving hands and let them go before, behind, between, above, below. Oh, my America, my newfound land, my kingdom, safest when with one man manned. My mine of precious stone, my empire, how blessed am I in this discovering thee. To enter in these bonds is to be free. Then, where my hand is set, my seal shall be. Full nakedness, all joys are due to thee, as souls unbodied, bodies unclothed must be, to taste whole joys. Gems which you women use are like Atlanta's balls cast in men's view. 
that when a fool's eye lighteth on a gem, his earthy soul may covet theirs, not them. Like pictures or like books gay coverings made, for laymen are all women thus arrayed. Themselves are mystic books, which only we, whom their imputed grace will dignify, must see revealed. Then, since that I may know as liberally as to a midwife shoe, thyself cast all, yea, this white linen hence, there is no penance due to innocence. To teach thee, I am naked first, why then? What needs thou have more covering than a man? <laughs> and that, you lovely sugar blossoms, was written by John Donne. It was refused a license to publish in 1633, but then eventually published in 1654. <laughs> Talk about sexy, all right? <laughs> okay, so now that we're all hot and bothered, Let's talk about the history of exotic dancing, or stripping, or whatever you prefer to call it. I'm going to refer to it as many things in this episode, so bear with me. It's, it's time. It's learning time, not politically correct time. First of all, I would like to give the Bible a shout out. I mean, for teaching the power of seduction and dance in Matthew 14 when King Herod literally cut the head off of John the Baptist in a moment of weakness after his niece danced erotically. Wow. Talk about power. Imagine being able to influence murder with a dance. But don't actually. That's bad. So the early, earliest evidence we have of erotic dancing goes all the way back to Paleolithic cave paintings in southern France more than 20,000 years ago. And archaeologists have also found many statues near the Black Sea regions of Bulgaria and Romania that date all the way back to the Stone Age or Neolithic era. So that means old as fuck, right? <laughs> like super old. So that's pretty cool. Let's talk about some of the reasons why exotic dancing, like at least theories, right? Why it ever started, what the purposes behind it behind it were. I mean, when you're going back so, so long ago, right? Life was so much different than it is now. So it's interesting to kind of compare why it's done now with why it might have been done long, long, long time ago. Some reasons it started, I mean, most of the reasons why it started were religious, as a lot of things were done for religious reasons back then. Exotic dancing is no different. Surprise, surprise. Usually, it would be dancing to gain the favor of the goddess of fertility, meant for reproduction and for crops. <coughs> Right, for the Greeks and for the Romans, priestesses would dance in a temple to honor the moon or the hunt or the god of wine and so on and so on. Basically, these would be like seductive dancers dancing to honor one god or another, and it would be done in temples. And this is like consistent. This is between, like I mentioned, Greeks and Romans. They were also found in India, all over the place. It was their, like, big excuse for some seductive, sexy dancing was it pleases the gods. 
It's a pretty good one if you ask me. However, the first knowledge of women getting paid for exotic dance would be belly dancers in the 14th century. And there wasn't clothing removal happening, so it wasn't a strip tease or a strip dance of any kind. It was just belly dancing. But it is recorded that in the 14th century is when they started to be tossed um, like coins and things for their skill in dance. And like I was mentioning how it was done everywhere pretty consistently, the 14th century is also where we see erotic dancing in temples in India for sacred rituals. But let's jump forward a bit to the 18th century. Ladies of the court would be paid to erotically entertain and dance, and this is when they would commonly incorporate fans into their routine, you know, like the ones who flip out and you like put in front of your face all seductively and You imagine big dresses and fancy ladies when you think of these fans. But they would incorporate those into their sexy routines as well. And basically these women would perform at celebrations and banquets and such for these (laughs) dances. Now into the late 1800s and we get to the burlesque. So we're moving pretty quickly through this episode, right? Music, singing, humor, dance, theatrics, and sexual parody. Women sexually undressing was originally only part of the show, not the focus. Burlesque made its way to America in 1868, and we're actually going to come back to the burlesque in a little bit as it becomes more and more sexual. In the late 1800s, the striptease was also penned, so we now have a term for, you know, seductively taking clothes off, g-strings, and chanting of, take it off, take it all off, for men were, like, very common. These things were common, uh, in, the, in at least in the world of the, like, sex industry. Now we get to an interesting piece of history here, the cooch dance, as it was called. And there was an expose at the Chicago World's Columbian Exhibition in 1893 to expose the science of anthropology to Americans. I recommend doing your own reading on this event if it interests you, because I'm only going to explain it a little bit. I'm not analyzing it, I'm not stating any opinions about it in this episode. So do your own research on this, create your own opinions, not for me. But the exhibit would take people through a racial hierarchy, including a white city and then also the, the important part, the Midway Plaisance. This is the area that displayed underdeveloped barbaric civilizations of darker races. It was there that they had women performing the cooch dances. They were meant to display the sexualization and eroticization of women of color, or as they put it, the, quote, primitive other, end quote. Okay, so again, I'm only telling you what this was in the episode, not my opinion. So if you want to know more about this, I have an article listed in show notes, and you can also look it up. It was the Chicago World's Columbian Exhibition in 1893. This was a big introduction of exotic dancing to America, however, and you might have heard of the cooch or the coochie dance or the hoochie coochie. Well, um, so now you know a part of its origin, like origins, origins, yeah, origins, if I can say, if I can talk today. Um, but this style of dance was taken up by the burlesque, okay? 
and they were like, huh, this is kind of awesome. And this is actually when, when the burlesque took up the cooch dance, they termed and penned exotic dancer. That's where exotic dance, exotic dancer, exotic dancing, that's where that all comes from. When the cooch dance was brought to the U.S., it was picked up by the burlesque. That's where we get that term from. So still talking about the, the late 1800s here, we start kind of slowly sliding towards and into the 1900s. Exotic dancing is exploding in the U.S. Hoochie Coochie is a thing. New dancing influences are spreading. 1916 is when the cooch dance expanded from strictly working class into upscale Broadway cabaret. So it started in this expose in Chicago. That sounds very interesting and now it's hitting the Broadway cabaret. Though it is important to note that when this happened, there was a distinct reassignment of sexual stigma and it was relocated to African-American women. So basically, we're like, hmm, we like this kind of dance. Um, and it's okay when white women do it. So then the term slumming was born. And it became popular because, well, men continued to support the, the quote, lower-tier venues. Because they were less inhibited and ultimately more learning. So basically what was happening is they were like, well... It's okay when white women do this type of thing. We're going to tone it down a little bit and we're going to bring it into these like classy places. And then there were the not so classy places with less restrictions because they weren't trying to skirt that line so closely of what is this like socially acceptable. And women were just going crazy and <laughs> surprise, surprise, men liked it, continued to support it. And that is where we get the term slumming interesting interesting pieces of history i'm having to tell you today next we have the french can can i really 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 this is my favorite part of this whole episode okay the french can can starts to grow in popularity and it eventually reaches the u.s so the dance first appeared in france in the 1830s as a challenge to strict victorian values so the can can if you don't know what it is is when you like kick really high and your skirts are falling back it's that really high kick and leg kicking and then when it first started because it was um kind of a rebellious thing women would often wear crotchless panties when they did this dance for extra excitement and you know extra (laughs) extra punch to the statement they were making but women basically used this form of dancing to challenge the ideas like Women weren't ever supposed to be out of breath. They weren't supposed to show much skin, specifically their ankles. And so basically, by doing this rigorous leg-kicking dance, they're like really challenging those things. And I think this is really beautiful because it's one of the first times that you really see exotic dancing become a form of, of empowerment rather than, you know, just entertaining men this is like they were kind of using this to take back their power and the can can was really made famous in the moulin rouge cabaret Woo! all right so yeah that's my favorite part but then sliding into the 1900s now and drum roll 
pole dancing enters the party. So wait, wait, wait. How the fuck did pole dancing even start? Good question. Good question. It originated at the height of the Depression in traveling fairs. So these things would set up tents, various styles of shows would be held in the tents, and if you knew where to go, you could go back to a tent off hiding in the back, and there would be a striptease show going on. And those ladies just started incorporating the tent poles into their routine. I imagine it made a lot of sense to use a hard, long pole (laughs) that's already there and handy, right, to swirl around and climb it. But let me tell you, even if it made sense, like, they started such an incredible tradition. Like, can we give them a little bow? I just did a little bow that you can't see because this is a podcast, but I think it's, I think that's really cool. It just kind of happened naturally. But then, so that's, that happened, and then in the 1950s, pole dancing started to boom, started to enter the bar scene, and it begins seeping into the American sex industry, and this stuff starts happening, like, really fast, like, boom, boom, boom. In the 60s and 70s, you see a rise in the strip clubs, like, it's, it's becoming a big deal. Society starts going through its big sexual revolution, and it starts to become more accepted, sort of. I mean kind of just a tiny tiny little bit but then the 60s and 70s almost all of the clubs put poles in so it's like a huge deal now like everywhere is doing it this is also when breast enlargement surgery became super popular it because it was really strongly associated with stripping and stripping was popular and so yeah naturally or not naturally oh shit in the 90s in montreal the lap dance was born. Thanks, Canada. What, what? And it was made legal in 1999. Finally, pole dancing broke out of the sex industry. A tad pole fitness started so more people could try it out, learn about it without necessarily having to go through a club. The National Pole Dancing Championship was also created. And we're pretty much getting to where things are today. It's still taboo as hell, still shamed and mocked, but more people are realizing the mistake in this. They're opening up to it. It's just happening pretty slowly. Uh, In my opinion, it's happening pretty slowly. But some interesting facts that are more recent than 1999. Stripping is still 90% female. Male strippers make about $25 less consistently than women do, although it is something to note that women usually have to hire their own security or protection. And so they make more, but they probably are spending it a lot more too. I will say physically, I think personal opinion with my limited experience, I think men have to work harder, maybe. I don't know maybe go compare for yourselves because I've done pole dancing I know exactly how hard it is and yet my experience with male stripping we'll get to that in a second I want one more little factoid male strippers perf well it's kind of a factoid it's kind of going along with what I was saying like male performers perform more female strippers seduce more so like dancing and impressing and all of that kind of stuff 
more lies on men when they're stripping and exotic dance is like very much a strength and dance centered thing whereas women it's more of like a tease being playful seducing and if you've been to both different types of shows you know exactly what I mean because here's my experience going to I went to a girls night out show I haven't actually gone to just like a normal male strip club that's like always there always happening I'm actually probably going to try to do that soon if I can find one where I'm at because I think it'd be interesting but I have gone to girls night out which is just which is basically a traveling male strip show and holy shit it was fun and it was so much different than my experience with female only strip clubs it was so crazy to me so they put on a full ass show and you have like this was in a bar so it was like a huge room of women just like massive and it was wild so you could put in like $20 to go up on stage and like sit in this chair and be used for part of their show so they would like dance on you and like pick you up and flip you around maybe turn you upside down so like it's like standing up 69ing type oh my god so many things and they would like oh super hot stuff also my group of friends I was in when we went won a raffle competition to go back pre-show and rub oil on all the dancers honey honey oh fuck it was awkward as shit but I didn't give a fuck it was so funny it was so hot it was like I mean I'm not usually somebody who's into like insanely muscular ripped dudes I I don't know I don't know why I I have been in the past and I do think it's really hot but they would be somebody I'd want to fuck not date so like there's a there's big difference there so obviously going back there and like stroking some of the like best abs of my life was uh pretty okay with me (laughs) and it was just so random and that's really the only raffle I think I have ever won so lucky me if I'm ever gonna win anything in my life apparently it was to go rub oil on some really hot men uh I'm okay with that actually (laughs) I'm okay with that I also obviously went on stage and it was pretty cool I they flipped me around a lot so that was pretty cool I don't know how much I spent that night but everything was done in $20 bills versus $1 bills so it was a lot and I pretty much pretty much talked with my friends like this can't happen often (laughs) because I'll be broke I also spend a lot of money with women though I sit at this I sit at the stage and I'll start with like a dollar right by the end of the night I'm putting up like a lot of money because here's the thing if I do a dollar on the first person because I'm like, holy shit, you're gorgeous. I'm obviously going to tip you. I'm not going to set the stage and not tip. So I do a dollar. And then the next person comes along and she's a little bit more my type. I'll be like, oh, oh, oh my God. And then I'll put like, who knows, a little bit more up. 
because I'm like more turned on. And then the next person comes along and I'm like, well, I don't want to pick favorites here. Like you're beautiful too. I love everyone and you're dancing amazing. I love everybody. So I have to match what I did for the last person. And it goes up and up and up and up and up and up until I'm like, I got to go. I got to get out of here because I'm, I'm spending so much money. So that's why I don't go to strip clubs super often. However, I am really, I really do want to find a male strip club. That's actually all I have for you for history of exotic dancing and history of stripping. So a lot shorter than history of sex work. However, I thought that there was some really interesting shit in here. Um, like the can-can and I mean all of it. It's, It's a really wild history. So this is actually the one that made me want to do a history of all of them because I had this acquaintance slash friend at one point in my life who saw an Instagram story of mine of some pole fitness, some pole dancing, and they were like, oh my god, I can't believe you do this. This is such a horrible practice. And I'm like, why? Why is this such a horrible practice? What's your problem? And they were like, um... It's so objectifying of women. Do you even know the history of stripping? Women slaves were forced to stand and dance on stage or they were beaten and it was horrible. And I'm like, where are you getting this information? Like, is this real? Like, I wanted to know actually where it started. And I guess I don't have solid evidence against that ever happening, right? Horrible, horrible things happened in the world and they're still happening in the world. But genuinely, pretty sure this guy was talking out of his ass. And so I wanted to know, really, where did pole dancing originate from? Because I didn't know. And I was actively participating in in the sport, and I didn't know where it came from. And I didn't know the history of exotic dancing. And I'm like, you know what? That's pretty bad. And uh I actually wonder how many people do know the history of this kind of stuff. And so I started looking into it, and that's when I was inspired to, like, hey, maybe maybe I should do episodes on this because it's actually really interesting. To me, it's really interesting, and it's important to know for assholes like him who were just dissing it to hell and shaming it so much, and I hadn't experienced a person like that yet at that point. And so, I mean, partly it was good for me to be exposed because it's a common thing and I need to be prepared for that kind of stuff and also just to be able to fight against it. So that is kind of why I started with this and I started making these episodes. So hopefully you get something out of it. If not, that's okay too. (laughs) As always, you guys, I hope you're following me on social medias at Pod. I hope you're following the podcast so you get notified when new episodes are up. And some new things out there, I have switched my host to Anchor so I can start monetizing the podcast a little bit. And if you like this show, I would love it if you'd click the link at the very bottom of show notes. It takes you to the page where you can click the little support button and set up a monthly subscription if you would so choose to do so. It can be as low as a dollar a month doesn't have to be a whole lot but I do spend money an actually decent amount of money to produce this podcast every month and so if you would like to contribute to the amount that I have to put towards the podcast 
I would really appreciate it because it's definitely not going to go anywhere for a while. I really enjoy it and it's a lot of fun. At the same time, I am not really made of money and made of time and the podcast does require both of those things. So consider it, maybe throw, throw a couple cents in for the show or, you know, just keep coming back. Uh, keep listening might throw some ads in here and there but it won't it won't go crazy <laughs> no worries there and i hope that you guys will leave reviews send an episode that you enjoy to friends or a friend and slide into my dms tell me what you think about episodes tell me topics that you're looking to listen to what you want me to talk about what questions you have or even just to say hi and just to chat Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. My name is Ellie Ray with Sugar Pussy. Have a fantastic week, you guys.